Hi, this is Dan Kidder with the Cedar City Politics and What's Really Happening in Southern Utah podcast, sponsored by the Southern Utah Citizens for Ethical Government PAC. Today in the studio, we are joined by Brittany Fisher, who is our last and final candidate for city council. We've had every one of the candidates come on into the studio, and we'll be getting those all edited and compiled and output to you, um, hopefully today. Uh, but definitely by Monday, and on Monday at 5.30 in the Hunter Conference Center on SUU campus, you can go and meet all of the candidates. And then at 6.30, they will begin a forum where they'll be ans- asking questions of, of all of the candidates. So uh, we'll also be there filming that, and we will put that up on the Cedar City Politics Facebook group. So... Um, For those who've seen the videos, you're going to hear what I've already said several times, but I just assume everybody just watches one video, so I'm going to go through it one more time. The city council race is a little different than county commission races or school board races where you run for a specific seat. In this one, it's like an episode of of the TV show Survivor. Um, We have uh, three seats coming up. Terry Hartley and Craig Isom are not running for re-election, so their seats will be open. And then Tyler Melling, his seat is coming up, and he is running for re-election. And uh, he has been in the studio for these interviews, so you can go find that. So there are three seats, seven candidates. If there were six candidates, we wouldn't have a primary. We would just have a general election. But because there's seven, we have to have a primary in September. And then the top six vote getters in that primary will move on to the general election in November. And the top three vote getters will become members of the city council. So it's a little different than what we're used to. So joining me today, I have Brittany Fisher, as I mentioned. And Brittany, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background, why people should vote for you, why you want to be on city council, and and give us a little bit of that. Yeah, of course. First of all, I want to thank you for doing this. I think it's really good for the community to be able to see all the candidates. So thank you. Um, Like Dan said, my name is Brittany Fisher. I'm not from Cedar City. I'm originally from Minnesota, so you'll hear the accent a little bit. Um, I grew up in a really small town. I think the biggest town I've ever lived in is about the size of Cedar. My hometown, I think, has a population of about 16,000 right now, which seems big. Um, Grew up there. Then after graduating high school, I moved to California, tried to work, go to school, Um, But I remember September 11th, 2001, sitting in a Spanish class, and at that moment I said, I'm going to join the military once I graduate. And so I remembered that I had said that, so I ended up joining the Navy. Uh, Got stationed in Norfolk, Virginia, which was way different than what I was thinking. I was thinking South Carolina, beaches, very different. on board the USS Kearsarge, I met my husband, and then I ended up getting out because we knew we wanted to start a family, but my husband stayed in. He wanted to do 20, so we've moved quite a bit from the East Coast, the West Coast. We lived in Washington, Riverside. Our last duty station was San Diego before we uh, moved to Cedar. And we moved to Cedar. We have some property in Pioch, and then we also have a cabin in Duck Creek. So we'd come to Cedar a lot. Um, I knew I wanted to go back to school, and SUU was here. There was a lot of things that I loved about Cedar. We're very outdoorsy, so we like to be, you know, out in the uh, wilderness and 
And then it's also a good community to raise our son. We have one son who's 10 years old. Um, so I moved to Cedar in 2017 and was able to have my son start kindergarten here. It took another year for my husband to end up moving up. He did the commute for a year back and forth to San Diego. But we love this community um, since we moved so much, being military, um, I knew wherever we ended up, and it wasn't a quick decision. It was a really thought-out decision, and I knew that I really wanted to make an impact in the community, and I also wanted it to really make it feel like a home and set down roots here. Um, so when I first moved here, I got very involved in the community, um, was on the Little League board, which my son didn't even end up playing um, any kind of baseball. But And then I was on the surf soccer board, which he did play. I was on that for a few years. Um, I'm now on the Southern Utah Veterans Association board as their secretary. Um, and they have a lot of exciting things coming up. And then I'm also the president of the Rotary Club. Um, I love Rotary. There's That's another good thing that CEDAR really has is a lot of different um, com community service organizations. I'm a little bit biased to Rotary, but I have many friends in the Lions Club and different organizations that really make a positive impact in our community. It's funny you mentioned Norfolk. I was I was stationed in Vaughn Beach, oh, and yeah, Norfolk's a dump. <laughs> that it place is. is terrible. It is. It wasn't. It was way different when I stepped off that plane. It was way different than what I was expecting because I had never on the East Coast. The only places I had really been at that time were Boston, uh, Rhode Island, Connecticut, and so I had never been there. I had seen pictures of South Carolina. And so I was envisioning that, but it was Norfolk was actually my third place on my uh, dream list, as they call it. I think I put Hawaii as number one, San Diego as number two, and Norfolk. All the big Navy cities, you yeah. know, you didn't get, uh, was it Croton up there in Connecticut or yeah. where the sub pens are? Yeah, Norfolk, I remember, is just cranes and, and shipyards and dry docks and yeah. just. And lots of traffic, lots, horrible traffic. Lots of traffic, and yeah, our ship was in dry dock for a time, and it's a very interesting town. And because our our dry dock was in Portsmouth, okay, which was yeah, even, which was even worse. worse than Norfolk, <laughs> but. So, how do we keep Cedar City from becoming that? I mean, we've got twelve percent growth going on right now. Um, we have been three percent for decades and now all of a sudden we're around 12 percent and covid was a big driver in that because everything else closed down and people came here yeah. um how do we keep them from bringing the traffic congestion and and overdevelopment and sprawl and all of the bad things that go with development in cedar city i think we just really have a vision of what we want the city to be and be proactive about the growth i mean because you can't stop growth right. growth is going to come but you can have a vision of what you want the city to be and really enforce that vision of what you want the community to be. I do think community involvement and having um, a high quality of life is important to me. Um, and just to plan, plan for the infrastructure. You know, that's why we do have a general plan, even though changes may come. I mean, the only thing constant life is change, right? There are changes. Um, but I think the general plan for infrastructure and different thing like different things like that are really important. 
um, public safety. You know, safety is our first adjective in our vision statement, um, and just really ensuring that it is a safe community and uh, just supporting different organizations. You know, SUU. Iron County School District and all of the businesses here. Um, I think it's it's not just up to the city council to you know create that vision of what we want the community to be, but it's the community as a whole. And so the community needs to come and speak up and you know share their views. And all views are different, right? There's tons of different perspectives. Um, but I do genuinely think that the city is growing in a good way in that um, people come out and they do share their opinions. And I think a lot of people that moved in, like me being from Minnesota, um, moved here for a reason. And so they want to keep all of the reasons that they moved here. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it, it took me about 10 years after I moved here to come from that Washington, D.C. area to, to Cedar City. The culture shock was pretty extreme before I kind of felt like, yeah, this is the place I want to be. I, the circumstances might come in here were not really my choice. Yeah. Um, I, I, I joke that I was exiled from Washington, D.C. to Cedar City. Um, but, yeah, after about 10 years, I kind of adjusted and, and felt like, man, this is really the place I I do want to be. But you talk about the community being involved. And one of the things I hear from folks a lot is they don't participate in city council meetings. And, and based on the voting numbers, you get, you know, 37,000 people in the community and you get about 2,000 that vote. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like they say um, it doesn't really matter who I vote for. It doesn't matter if I show up because nobody cares what I have to say. I think I think I've watched many city council. I don't go in person do a lot because I'm waiting. One day I might have to go to everyone, but I watch them online. And I do think um, city council meetings can be set up in a little bit of a different way that community members can feel like they can share their side, um, and then city staff can share their perspective. And really, I I have heard that as well that some community members don't feel like they can be um, that all of the city council members are approachable and that's one thing that I hope to bring is that I am approachable you can call me you can text me if you have a concern I want to hear it we may not see eye to eye on it but I'm one person they're one person and I want to hear all perspectives all right yeah I, I uh, am kind of blown away St. George City has taken out public comment. There's no no public comment there. And so that's one of the big questions people are asking in St. George of their candidates is, will you bring back public comment? Yes, and there should definitely be a public comment. That That's the one thing here in Cedar that we've always you know had pretty abundantly. And, yes. and in some issues, a lot of it, uh, you know, the Mac Center um, referendum, there was a ton of public comment. None of it was listened to. Yeah. The, the council continued on, but uh, yeah, there was a ton of public comment against that. It's um, we the people, not just the city council. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's in our best interest to hear every side, every perspective. I mean, people bring different perspectives in. And you might be set on this way and you hear another perspective and you're like, I can understand that, even if you don't agree on it. I think it's important. What do you think the council's role should be in projects like the MAC? center should uh, those kinds of wants be 
spent above the needs that we currently have with infrastructure and everything else? No. So I, with municipalities, I'm very needs before wants. Um, I kind of joke that it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? What are, because that's our job as city council is to improve the quality of life for all residents. Um, and how do you do that? You start that from that bottom. Um, you know, first, water, shelter. Water is important, and we have long-term needs for water, and that's one of the main reasons I'm running. Um, and then shelter, giving our children a place where they can work and live and have, you know, be able to afford to live here. Um, and then after that, public safety. Public safety is very important for the quality of life of residents. I do think that it is important for the city to think of different things like rec and that kind of thing um, because it does improve the quality of life. But I also am very open to a public-private partnerships with rec um, because the city only has so much money and when we're talking about infrastructure and we're talking about water and public safety, they're very expensive. Yeah. Water is very expensive. Um, and when you really look at the long-term needs, that's one of my biggest things is I hope to bring a vision. What's the long-term vision? I mean, I have, the reason I'm running is I have a 10-year-old. I woke up one day and I'm like, in eight years, he's gonna be an adult. Um, and can he afford to move out of my house and find a place here and be able to work and, you know, have a livable wage? Um, so, yeah, I think the budget and having a long-term vision of what's most important um, and planning those things out and having a focus. You know, a lot of times I think we are looking at a lot of different things at once. What's our long-term vision even short-term vision and focus on those things so we're not trying to spread ourselves out too far between staff and and resources um yeah let's talk a little bit about water for a second we've got about 14 million dollars in new water rights that the city's purchasing um but having that on paper and actually drilling a hole in the ground and having water in the hole are two different things. Just because you have the rights to it doesn't mean that it's going to be there when you need it. What is your vision for water uh, in, in, I mean, both conveyance and, and purchasing of rights and, you know, recharge and all of that? Yeah, I think that, I mean, there's a couple different areas of focus. I think two of my biggest things is I think we really need to plan out for Pine Valley. Um, the water tables are better you know through the north and so I think planning that out it's going to be a very expensive project and so planning for that um, I know that they're working through the final estimates for that um, I think it was about 110 million dollars for that pipeline but it, but that's borne by everybody who benefits from the pipeline yes and the nice thing about that is a lot of wells that are um, drilled you can use a certain percentage of that, but then you have to put a certain percent back into the aquifer where Pine Valley is 100%, 100% use. And so that makes a big difference because our aquifers, kind of like the federal government right now, where you know we have, we're allowed from the uh, groundwater management plan, 21,000 acre feet of water, we're taking out 28. That's, that's a big problem. So with Pine Valley being able to use that water, um, that's, I think, 
long term where we really have to start planning it out and putting funds away. Um, I do think that if we're going to do wells, it's probably best in the north and to the west where they just purchased uh, water rights. Out there by Burl and Enterprise. Yeah. And then another thing that I would really like to see, we know 70% of our water goes to agriculture. Um, We have a lot of storm drain water and we have a lot of um, type 2 affluent water. I'd like to see that be used for agriculture. The pool water. Exactly. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of federal and state regulations if you want to change that from type 2. And given that 70% of our water does go to agriculture, um, I mean, there's more studying that I'd like to do on that and really see if that's the most cost um, efficient way to do it. But from what I know, that would be best to be able to reuse that water for agriculture. So there'd be some infrastructure in that and that you have to convey the water from where it's currently discharging to the places where it needs to be used. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and I I think they're working, the engineering team for the city is working on that right now and what that would look like. I mean, it would all come down to cost of Um, what the final cost, I mean, for me, when making a decision, I want to see what the full cost of it, and then take that into consideration with the benefits. What are the benefits of doing it this way versus another way? I mean, because when you, when you, we talk about water, we have a lot of different things. We have paper, um, the paper rights of water. I mean, a lot of the water that the city has are not priority dates. They're past, uh, 1934 and so I mean there's a lot of different a lot to learn there but also um, I just think that we have to plan it out and really know what the cost is in every direction and what's the what's going to make the biggest impact for the future because the water is a it's a future i mean it's a now issue but it's more of a future issue yeah know? they say we have enough water for the next 30 years at three times the population well yeah the, i think the first cut where we're going to feel a difference is 2040 and then at i want to say 2060 or 2050 it's it's a severe cut if we don't make some improvements yeah and in saying that we have enough water for the next 30 years well that 30 years will get here real quick does that mean we run out of water at that point you know yeah if we don't do some things then yeah. yes it will and nothing else matters if you don't have water well we've got tremendous growth right now yes. and you talked about uh, having the ability for your kid to be able to live in this community when he gets uh, ready to move out of the home yes. um, and it, it, it seems it to me we have an aging population here because what we have is kids coming up no economic opportunities for them and low wages high cost of housing they move away mm-hmm. and people who sell their houses in in another state for an ungodly amount of money and can come here and buy something for a quarter of the price and mm-hmm. don't have kids in the schools and, and um, it's it's aging our overall population in that direction uh, which is unusual for Utah because we have so many kids per people you would expect it to be a little bit younger yeah and um, we do we're seeing that shift because right now I think uh, in Cedar it's a little over 10 percent for over 65 but then our youth under 18 is 30 percent and so right there you would see that there's going to be a future I mean that's just if hard. they can stay though if I mean they once they hit stay. 18 what's that 18 to you know 30. Yeah. Range looking like. Right. 
it's huge. It's a big part of our population, but it is changing. There are more retirees moving in. And um, yeah, I think a lot, I, I know Tyler Melling and the council were really pushing on the um, neighborhood zone or the, and I think that is, no one's really using that right now, but I do foresee that being um, a better opportunity for our kids. And I do see higher density lots going in because of the cost. Um, for me, it is important to really focus on the design of a development because we do, you know, we want it at a good price, but we also want them to have a high quality of life too. Um, and I think it's, there's there's a lot that goes into housing, right? It's supply and demand, it's the market. Um, and then I also think that we really have to focus on small business and being able to have our kids start a business here and really have a community that supports them um, is going to make a big impact. And I want to know personally, you know, where do our residents spend their tax dollars elsewhere? And because when you go to Costco in St. George, that's great, but those tax dollars are staying in St. George. Um, and so I'd love to be able to see more of our tax dollars stay here from sales tax, from transient room tax, and be able to use that in our budget. Um, we need to attract a Costco. And a I, Trader Joe's. I, I like Trader Joe's, yeah. I don't think Trader Joe's could make it in Utah because such you know, wine is such a big uh, selling uh, um, category for them yeah it i think it's shifted a little bit away from wine though trader joe's they, they used to have what the two buck chuck two buck chuck kit. now i think it's like five buck chuck yeah. but yeah <laughs> yeah it's a good store um yeah i think just really thinking that out having a vision of you know how do we make housing i mean because it's going to come down to the market but how do we have enough supply that it is a livable, you know, rate for them. I mean, and the feds keep, you know, hiking up the rate. Who knows? My kid might be living with me longer. But um, just trying to make it affordable and understanding how many youth we really do have here and knowing, like, do you want your kids and grandkids to live in southern Utah or do you want them to move out? Do you want to be able to give them the option to stay here? If we do, then we have to make it easier. You know, it's it's going to be harder for their generation than it was for me, than my parents. And just remembering where everyone came from and understand that there's a housing need for everybody, I think, is really important. There are those who would like to, to hit the brakes on that. And, you know, they have their house. It's selling for a really pretty penny. And as long as the inventory stays low, their house is worth a lot of money. If we add excess inventory to the market, their price is going to come down or their, you know, overall value and com comparison is going to come down. Um, but they also don't want to change how Cedar City is. And I think that comes back down to each of us as community members kind of having that vision of what we want Cedar to be. Um, and I would say that Cedar is going to grow. The more that we push back on the growth, I mean, the worst situation we're going to be in, the higher prices are going to go, the harder it is for our kids and grandkids to live here. Um, and my understanding is under state law, 
the the longest we can put a moratorium in place is six months. Yeah. I and then what happens is all that those housing starts that were waiting, you know, are going to all of a sudden explode at the end of that six months, and we're going to have a million housing starts all at once. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing. I've really been looking into how can we make housing cheaper. Um, one of the things that I see, you know, some developments are taking a very long time to get built. So you might be interested in a home. Two years later, you might have that home. Um, and so how do we, I mean, because there, I know that there's a lot that goes into it, but how do we, because when the market shifts, that market shift that's happening with the developer, if it is a, you know, a negative shift in the market, they're not going to take all of that cost and add it on to them. You know, they, it's their business. They're right. taking on a very risky position. And one thing I hear from people is, is one of the reasons that it takes so long for these developments to get approved, not to get built, just to get approved, yeah. is the lack of assistance from the city in navigating the complex regulations that they have in place. So I actually just found out about HB 406. It just got approved through the state of Utah this year, which is going to majorly shift how the engineering team, the city council, the planning commission look at housing um, and the development approval. So if someone comes in and gives them a full um, application for development the city now starting I think it's February of next year will be required to have an approval or a denial um, or request more information within 15 days so that is going to shift it and then there's some other regulations that's going to have to get passed from this city council to make that happen and you know that I'm sure that there will be discussion in which way is the best way to go but that new law that came out this year is and I think the state saw how that can you know the market's been shifting very fast mm -hmm. typically when you're talking about the federal government nothing happens within six months you know it's hard to get something fixed in a year but two years is a long time to see you know a yeah. shift in the market that's an interesting point you bring up because I, I used to work for a member of Congress and, and he first ran for county commission in Georgia and as a county commissioner, he said, well, we can't really do anything. So I'm going to run for state senate. So he ran for state senate because the state was mandating everything that the county did. And he got to the state senate and he goes, well, we can't really do anything. The feds mandate everything that the state does. So he ran for Congress. And in city council, you know, has to operate within the parameters that are legally allowed to them. They can't say, well, you know what, we want to do this. Well, I'm sorry the state doesn't allow you to do that. So they, they do have to work within those laws and in the, in the parameters set up by state and federal law. Mm -hmm. um, there has been some pushback to that in, in some communities. Um, and, and the biggest pushback has been the fact that, you know, about 70% of the, the land in the state of Utah is owned by the federal government. And you're seeing some cities and states, uh, uh, state representatives and municipalities pushing back on that. Where, what do you come down on that? Yeah, I mean, for me, our natural land is our natural land. Um, I wish there was less federal government, but that's just me. Um, I know that there's a place for it, but I also think that, you know, those parks are within state boundaries and there are natural resources. And so I'm definitely more for, you know, there 
like I said, there's a place for federal government. There's a place for state government. And I just think that within our state and our natural resources should be more up to us and less the, I mean, it, it does get tricky because you're talking about national parks and national monuments. And, and so that, that one's a little bit harder. How do you, you know, consider something to be a national park or a national monument? And well, Zion and, and Bryce Canyon and uh, Escalante and Beer, Beer, Bears, Ears, I can say it. Yeah. They all bring a lot of uh, tourism. Yeah. Um, but, you know, before Escalante was a national monument, nobody was drilling for oil on it. Nobody was tearing it up. If there was those resources there, I'm sure they would have gone for them. So, yeah. you know, that big land grab was really hurt that community. It about killed it. And I, I could see something similar happening happening to Cedar City if if it's, Bryce yeah. were to get. I mean, we got Cedar Bryce Monument up there. What if that were to expand? Yeah, it it's it, it's sad. It I I mean, you know, it, I I would push back as a state um, because I don't think that I think that's an overreach on the federal government. But we've been seeing a lot of that. So. Now you mentioned. Um, public private partnerships and in, in rotary yes. what's the status of this amazing water park in canyon creek park so we've received a lot of route taxes for it and we do have plans um i'm not because i'm president right now i'm no longer on the water park committee but sue and paul monroe have been taking great steps to get that you know the we do have the design for it um and they've changed it a little bit based on community feedback because community feedback is important. Accessibility us. was a thing with that, wasn't it? Yes, a, a, all accessibility park for kids, which we don't really have here no. in town, so it'd make a big impact. Um, so we are just working w uh, on a contract with a general contractor to kind of get that finalized. And it are, are we still looking for funding for that? Yes, we're always looking for Absolutely, that's for. the right answer. <laughs> <coughs> so, I mean, it is, it's going to be a costly project. We did receive a lot of um, wrap taxes for it, which we're appreciative of. Um, but, yeah, it's just kind of in the planning phases. I know for development, anything right now is taking longer to actually get it built. And so. is more expensive. Yep, and it's more expensive. Let's talk about the wrap tax for a little bit. It's up for reauthorization on the ballot this year. So yeah. in the general election, when you vote for your city council people, you'll have an opportunity to vote on whether or not to reauthorize the wrap tax. Um, some of the criticism that's out there is some of the organizations receiving those funds. The Johnson Center, for example, last Saturday had an all-ages drag show. So they were having drag for children. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I am really funny about taxes. Um, my personal opinion is that I don't feel like a drag show is family friendly. And so I have a hard time using my tax dollars to pay for that. Um, I, with that, I also think that the wrap tax has done a lot of good. I mean, you look over the last 10 years, over 10 million has went out to either this back into the city for rec or into different organizations within the community. And it has done a lot of good. All I have to say is I'm glad that us seven candidates aren't the only people voting. Um, I just think the best 
thing is that we all have our personal opinions. Um, if you vote no for it, you know, we the city really has to, I mean, because out of that 10 million, the last 10 years, I think over five and a half has went back into the city for rec. So if you vote no, you know, where's the city come up with that 5.5 million? Um, if you vote yes, you know, you also have to understand that the city council cannot be um, pick and choose what they allow our tax dollars to be used for. So for me, it's a personal battle too. You know, I, if you're an adult, do whatever you want. I just don't want my tax dollars to go to, you know, a family-friendly drag show when I don't feel like they're family-friendly. And so everybody gets to vote on it and not just us seven candidates. So I'm... Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of if you're going to have a tax, let the people vote on the tax. Yeah. Um, just, you know, and, and I'm kind of surprised that that had to be an issue that was raised with whether it would be on the ballot or not. But, uh, yeah, it's a voluntary tax if you vote for it. Um, you know, maybe not everybody agrees, but it is a voluntarily imposed tax at that point. Um, how do you feel about you, you talked about rec uh, a couple of years back. They wanted to expand the max the the aquatic center by adding on what they call the max center multi access center. Mm -hmm. um, it was going to have basketball complex and gyms that competed with actual gyms in the community. Um, and the council, despite hundreds and hundreds of comments against it, continued forward with it and finally voted to bond on it. At which point, the citizens held a referendum to put that issue on the ballot. So there are bonds that are required to be on the ballot by the very nature of the bond, and there are other bonds that are not required to be on the ballot. But nothing in that bond prohibits it from being put on the ballot. What is your thought on voting on those large capital expenditures? Um, should that be something that's just sort of automatically placed on the ballot? Or, hey, Representative Republic, you elected us, and we're going to go forward. That one's a hard one because there are a lot of large expenses that the city has to approve that we wouldn't want all of them. I mean, we wouldn't even have the time for them to hit a ballot. But with the aquatic center expansion, I do think that it would have been important to, you know, hear from the citizens and what they voted. I would have voted against the expansion um, just because I know that we need basketball courts. That is a need. Some kids are practicing till nine o'clock at night. But if you go up on the hill and you have a baseball softball tournament going on, it's crazy up there. There is no room for expansion. Um, the aquatic center already loses money and then you increase the overhead. Um, just the cost in doing the expansion, I think it was a large enough cost that it should have been on the ballot. Um, the part that I see being tricky is right now the city's talking about a lot of different parks. Um, you put those on the ballot and you have, you know, maybe two parks and people have to choose which one. So everybody out north is going to say, I want that Fiddler's Park. And then, you know, everybody closer to the south or west would want the Iron West Park. Um, so I think that gets a little bit tricky there when when there's multiple projects going on and uh I find it funny the city was complaining that they didn't have enough basketball 
places for people to play basketball. And then they went and tore up all the basketball courts and put pickleball courts in there. And I've seen, I, I drive past the pickleball courts all the time. I've seen two people use them. Yeah. Um, it's just crazy to me. They go, hey, we need more basketball. We need more basketball. We're willing to spend $14 million to get more basketball, but we're going to tear up all these basketball courts and put in pickleball courts. It's just, I wonder about government sometimes. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important for the community to speak up and why, what are the needs? You know, being on the surf soccer and little league, um, boards and and that's another thing is I've heard many people say hey all donate money to get new lights at the fields all don't donate money to this and donate money to that let them donate like absolutely if you have the resources because the city can't do it all and um, the city's main focus should be the needs you know of course we want to increase the quality of life but sometimes when we have high costs that we really have to focus on, you know, for the long term, let them help. And, you know, everybody's vote does matter. And um, what I hate to see is overpromise and underdeliver. That I don't. And that's why for me, having a vision, a collective vision of what the city council, what the mayor, like, Where's our focus and really focus on that so we're not trying to spread our resources and our time out too far because that's affecting everybody's tax dollars, right? And I don't like to waste my tax dollars. I like to be efficient and have a plan and, you know, where I'm going to be putting my money. Yeah. Now, we do need some infrastructure, and we've, we've had a lot of development toward the south end of town, and we're going to be building a new fire station um, down there. The property's been acquired to do that, and that's an expensive proposition. Yes. What do we do to encourage more growth on the north end of town and, and kind of slow down the, the south end? We have to have an anchor there, and that's why when everybody kept saying aquatic center expansion, I'm like, no, north side. North side, have this city, you know, create something on the north side that will, we, I just think we need an anchor of something down there bring, because I know that, I mean, it's growing just, I won't say just as fast, but it's growing on the north side too. Um, and for the community to understand that, that increases their property values too, you know, the more that um, resources they have on the north side. And it is really important to slow down. I live on the south side um, in Sunset Canyon. So I, I'm right there, right off Cross Hollow. I mean, Cross Hollow is going to end up being a major, major road. Um, so, yeah, as much as we can get to the north. Yeah, I, I envision shopping centers back in there off of Cross Hollow. And yes. I, I think Silver Silo was smart in getting in there early when they did because I think there's going to be a lot of growth around them. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, but there was a lot of pushback from the community on the North End, Fiddlers, when the county was considering putting the jail up there. Um, so, you know, okay, what projects are acceptable then to that North End of town? And, and have you heard anything from people of what they would like to see? I haven't. I know that I do know that there was a pushback on the jail location. I personally, and not because now the jail's closer to me, but I personally felt like it was the most logical decision for the city as a whole to put it on the north side. Um, but, you know, citizens came out, shared their views, and the commission and um, the city took that into consideration. Um, 
I do know that the north side is adamant about a park, and I, I do think it's time to have a park out that way. Um, and I'm sure they'd love to see shopping and um, it's just getting somebody out there. And I know that there's been some soil issues in some parts of the north. Um, but, yeah, it's just for economic developments, finding an organization that sees what they could, how they could benefit of not only being in Cedar, but being on the north side of town because it's, it is going to grow. And the traffic, just getting down to the south end, that inter- interchange there is the worst thing I've ever seen. I When they built that, I went, oh, my God, this is a dismal failure. So UDOT, <clears throat> I think, is looking at changing that, which will be great. Uh, my big thing is, and I mentioned it to some city staff the other day, is we don't believe in left turn signals around here. And we've kind of gotten to the point where we need some left turn You cannot signals. make a left turn on the main street without going to a, a light. Yeah, or go up to the aquatic center making a left yeah. or making a left, you know, to go towards um, Home Depot. And it's, yeah, it's crazy. So I'd like to, I know that they've been working on studies and... I think the city would have fixed that by now if the state had yeah. been a little more cooperative. They know they wanted to cut back some of those medians um, to allow those left turn lanes to be longer so they're not backing up into the other lane and going all the way up to the Maverick on the top of the hill. Yeah. Um, but I've, uh, the, the conversations I've had is the state, they'll examine it for three or four years and then it'll take them 10 years to get approval for it and then another five years to build it. And, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and I think that just comes, you know, you got to prod the state sometimes and say, okay, and push them along a little bit. Yeah, I tell you, anytime, I love what Ronald Reagan said. He said, people look to government for solutions, not realizing that government is the problem. And anytime government builds something, it's 10 times as expensive and takes five times as long, and it's not ever very good. Um, So that's unfortunate. So we got about five minutes left. I want to give you that time to cover anything that you think we we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about also let people know how they can get in touch with you learn more about your positions contact you give you a check pick up a yard sign all that good stuff okay perfect thank you well i think the first thing i want to say is that i truly believe that every vote counts i would appreciate your vote but even if you don't vote for me get out and vote have your voice heard um for me it's all about improving the quality of life for all residents but also um having a vision setting goals taking action on those goals um, and really building a community Um, you can call or text me at 435-592-2417 or you can email me to renownedintegrity at gmail.com i also have a facebook page um, I'm currently working on a website, kind of getting the final, final touches on that. Um, but then also come to the SUU debate on Monday night at 6 o'clock. Fantastic. At 5.30 if you want to meet the candidates. 5.30, yes. Yeah. You're going to have candy. you got to have candy at your table to, to attract people. Okay. I think, I think uh, Mary Foremaster at the one that they did for school board candidates, I think she had like chocolate dipped strawberries or something. It was like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yes. 
I'll have candy. All right. Well, that has been Brittany Fisher, and we want to thank you for coming in and all of the candidates who came in and participated. I mean, I'm, I'm really a big proponent of open government and transparency and being accountable to the people. And I'm, I'm, I'm really torn this cycle because in the past, it's been like, oh, God, which of these losers do I vote for? It's like picking the, the least of the worst. This one, it's hard because we have so many solid uh, candidates in this race. And it's like, man, and, and that's a good conundrum to be it in. Is, it is Everybody good. wins in that situation. That's so why every vote matters. That's right. It sure <laughs> does. And it, it's dismally pathetic that we have 2,700 people vote in an election and you know, we need to get those numbers up, people. Let's get those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. So this has been Dan, Dan Kidder. Oh, I got to make my my pitch. I've got to make my pitch. So uh, last year, I started a nonprofit called the Friends of the Iron County Sheriff. And we were able, through your generosity and the generosity of this community, to raise over $30,000 uh, to provide additional mental health care for the first responders who had to go to the scene of the hate killings in Enoch at the beginning of the year. And because of that, we've been able to purchase over 100 additional hours of mental health care for those first responders. And, and now it's time for us to start another campaign. And in talking to the sheriff, he's identified a need for a canine that is trained to um, do all the things that a police canine does, but instead of finding drugs, uh, he is trained to sniff out bombs, explosives, and firearms. Uh, right now, what happens is if we have a bomb threat at a school, we have to wait for the state to send us that resource, or St. George will send us up one of those canines that's trained in that. And that can take hours. It can delay things by hours, and those hours could potentially become tragedy. So it'll take about $20,000 for us to uh, purchase the, the, the canine, train him, equip him, and get him in, into the field and have that resource for our county. So if you go to the friendsoficsheriff.org and click on the Operation Wolf logo, um, we would love it if you could help uh, donate and bring that resource to our community. This has been Dan Kidder with the What's Really Happening in Southern Utah, the podcast, and Cedar City Politics, and the Southern Utah Citizens for Ethical Government. I appreciate you all watching and sharing these debates and interviews. And uh, also look forward to seeing you all on Monday at the uh, Michael O. Levitt Center at 530 to meet the candidates in the Huntsman Conference Center on the campus of SUU. Thank you all for watching and you all have a great day.